Hi, this is Terry McCarty, and here is a bonus episode of Reviews and Otherwise, and this is 10 Guilty Pleasures, films uh, of childhood and uh, adolescence, and most of them fall between the late 60s and early 80s. So, without further ado, let's uh, jump right into uh, the first uh, film on the list, and uh, it's an Italian Western titled uh, White Comanche. Joseph Cotton leads a supporting cast, but it has an actor who um, boldly went uh, from the Starship Enterprise to playing the lead of a Caucasian man uh, raised uh, by a Native American tribe. Yes. Mr. William Shatner. And as someone, I believe it was Michael Weldon, said in the Psychotronic uh, Films Encyclopedia, whenever Shatner uh, wasn't playing uh, in Star Trek, uh, he often seemed like uh, Captain Kirk caught in a time warp. And it has the elocution and uh, classic actor line readings that uh, Shatner in the 60s was uh, quite well known for. So that is film number one. Number two is uh, Caprice, which was uh, the second and last of the Doris Day collaborations with director Frank Tashlin. And with Tashlin, uh, Doris Day had had a hit film the year before with uh, The Glass Bottom Boat. And uh, that was in part a uh, parody of uh, spy films. And so the formula was repeated in Caprice, Richard Harris being the leading man, and uh, it had to do with cosmetics and industrial espionage. And it's quite interesting because you can see where the original filming took place and then uh, where 20th Century Fox must have insisted on reshoots to make the proceedings a, a bit more palatable to uh, what was remaining of the uh, core Doris Day audience. So you have uh, some of the Frank Tashlin sight gags and slapstick and then you have a cutaway to 
let's see, a little more serious uh, treatment of the whole thing of espionage, and, and then you go back to Doris Day, now in her 40s, uh, still trying to play the virginal uh, heroine, and uh, I guess for all this jumble and, and the fact that it's like, uh, I believe Leonard Maltin's, one of his uh, movie on TV or books was like muddled and funny, straining to be mod, uh, and it did get pasted a bit at the time, but uh, I saw it uh, years ago at Melnitz uh, Theater at UCLA when when there was a Frank Tashlin festival, and uh, it actually, for the most part, uh, holds up. So I do recommend uh, checking it out if it uh, plays on uh, the FX Movies channel. So from, from there, we uh, were going to go to a uh, couple of uh, American International Pictures. Uh, first, 1970s, A Bullet for Pretty Boy, which had the pop star Fabian, and by this point, uh, known as Fabian Forte, playing... Charles Arthur, Pretty Boy Floyd, and both Bonnie and Clyde AIP had a lot of uh, successful uh, gangster uh, knockoffs. There was uh, Killers 3, which, uh, you know, gave the world uh, Dick Clark uh, playing gangster, riding around in a Model T with uh, Robert Walker Jr. and Diane Varsi. And earlier in 1970, there was Bloody Mama, uh, directed by Roger Corman, with the amazing cast of uh, Shelley Winters as Ma Barker, Bruce Dern, Robert De Niro, Don Stroud. So A Bullet for Pretty Boy wasn't Bloody Mama quality. It was interesting for Fabian, you know, straight acting, non-singing, and the lead actress, I guess, as a kid, I had a crush on her, Jocelyn Lane. And it was made by a producer-director, Larry Buchanan, best known for, for a film with uh, Tommy Kirk and Yvonne Craig in the mid-60s that uh, had the all-time great uh, bad movie title, Mars Needs Women. So, Bullet for Pretty Boy, uh, perhaps because AIP product is now owned by Amazon Prime, or will be, uh, look for it in Amazon Prime probably later this year. And the same goes for a year later, 1971, uh, Bunny O'Hare, which was uh, 
when American International was starting to think of uh, upgrading its product a little bit and uh, having like B plus or A minus pictures and uh, Bunny O'Hare at least gave Betty Davis a chance to be in something that wasn't a uh, horror film. Essentially, it was a, well, you could say a more contemporized uh, take on Bonnie and Clyde, but for laughs. Uh, Betty Davis and Ernest Borgnine riding around New Mexico and, and the Southwest in general, robbing banks, and if you can believe this, dressed in disguise as hippies. So that, uh, look for that on Amazon Prime also. And I, actually I should have uh, uh, discussed this particular film next, uh, right from the top. It's, uh, it's uh, Creature from the Haunted Sea, 1961, Roger Corman. I believe Charles Griffith uh, had a hand with the script, and uh, it's a comedy horror uh, piece, heavily accented on comedy, and it doesn't have the reputation today that films like uh, Bucket of Blood or Little Shop of Horrors has. In instead, Creature from the Haunted Sea is and I believe uh, Robert Town is involved in it somewhere, either as actor or, or I think under the name of Edward Wayne, W-A-I-N. And basically it's just people on a boat uh, somewhere off of Cuba. They get into the water and you have an intentionally ridiculous monster which looks like the uh, cookie monster hiding a, or let's say a giant cookie monster hiding a uh, few uh, water tanks uh, somewhere inside the costume. And, the, and it's, once you're on the film's wavelength, it's uh, quite amusing and it runs uh, just over an hour. So, highly recommended. Very likely you can find this on YouTube. Now we jump to 1973. First, let's uh, talk about anti-establishment fair. Steelyard Blues. And the director of Steelyard Blues, Alan Meyerson, uh, later on did a Police Academy sequel about, I think, 15 years later. And uh, we won't mention that uh, anymore. But uh, Steelyard Blues was sort of the Jane Fonda, Donald Sutherland, Peter Boyle, uh, sort of their anti-establishment uh, version of the Cannonball Run where they're bothering the establishment, uh, hoping to get on a plane and uh, fly somewhere and uh, 
Peter Boyle's good for a few laughs as the character Eagle, so some of what he does kind of presages uh, some of what John Belushi would would do on the early seasons of SNL, you know, broad sketch-type humor. And there's a scene with Jane Fonda pouring a drink down someone's crotch, which... Obviously, uh, Colin Higgins remembered because it shows up about three years later in Silver Streak, except it's uh, Joel Clayberg doing that to a uh, vulgar come on by Ned Beatty. And it has Steel Yard Blues' terrific uh, theme song with lyrics like they let me drive again, I feel alive again, they let me drive again. So onward from that to uh, Guns of a Stranger, and uh, it was a pickup uh, by Universal Pictures for small towns and uh, drive-ins outside of small towns. And the country uh, pop singer Marty Robbins playing a character named uh, The Drifter and it's cheaply made, and it looks like basically Marty had uh, invited a camera crew over to his backyard to film him and uh, character actor Chill Wills uh, and other people uh, playing cowboy. And it's also distinguished by Dovey Beams, who is the female lead and was the one-time lady friend of uh, Philippines dictator Ferdinand Marcus. And she has the best line reading in the film toward the end when she looks at Marty Robbins and asks him, are you going to keep on drifting? So now we'll jump to 1978, which is... uh, was a banner year for either guilty pleasures or movies that were just so uh, bad they remained bad. And it was Tony Curtis's luck that year to be in the Bad News Bears Go to Japan, which uh, is, well, let's say it's uh, far worse than the first two Bad News Bears and uh, uh, worse than the compromised uh, Richard Linklater remake with uh, Billy Bob Thornton. But the Tony Curtis film of 1978 we're going to quickly discuss is The Manitou. The Manitou uh, co-starred him, Susan Strasberg, Michael Ansara, a uh, little person wearing a uh, Native American type hair and it was basically about a demon that uh, at first started as a boil on someone's back and then and then uh, becomes a human being and bursts out of the person's back and then by the climax uh, everything's about 45 degrees below zero, and uh, it's a horror film that's just uh, 
unintentional nonstop hilarity brought to you by a filmmaker named uh, William Gardner. Next, uh, a film that gets uh, very little love because it's a remake of a uh, iconic film, and that's Michael Winner's 1978, The Big Sleep, which uh, made the audacious move of uh, having Robert Mitchum repeat his Philip Marlowe role from Farewell, My Lovely, but uh, teleporting the character from uh, World War II Los Angeles into uh, 1978 London. And with The Big Sleep, uh, 78, it's not a bad film at all. Uh, it's another thing of uh, once you're on its wavelength that's quite interesting and um, has some fascinating casting, uh, Candy Clark uh, in the Martha Vickers role, being able to be a little more graphic than Martha Vickers was allowed to by the production code in the 40s. James Stewart as the General Sternwood in a small role, and uh, probably my favorites are like Oliver Reed playing Eddie Mars and uh, Richard Boone as Canino. And uh, once you put Mitchum in a scene with either or both of them, uh, you definitely have a watchable movie. So it has uh, the 78 Big Sleep has in recent years uh, been popping up again via Shout Factory or uh, DVD both here and in the UK. Uh, highly recommended. And um, so one final film to mention before this uh, special edition uh, rolls to a close, and that's 1982's Forbidden World. As AAP did with Bonnie and Clyde in the uh, late 60s and very early 70s, Roger Corman's New World uh, did to Alien in the late 70s, early 80s. I never got to see Galaxy of Terror, which had the combination of Aaron Moran, Just Off Happy Days, and uh, Edward Albert, Eddie Albert's uh, talented and son who passed away too young. But uh, Forbidden World has, I'm not sure which Vint brother in the lead, Alan or Jesse, and uh, anyway, he looks kind of like uh, Bill Murray, and Forbidden World is at least they have a different kind of cheap-looking monster uh, uh, than, than what I presume that they had in Galaxy of Terror. But uh, it moves along. It's, I think, under 90 minutes, and another film with a repository of uh, great... Uh, 
dialogue uh, that's delivered straight-faced and not intended to be funny, but comes out funny. Uh, an actor named uh, Lyndon Childs playing the resident uh, scientist on the ship gets to say this wonderful, wonderful line. It looks like we have a genetic wildcat here. And that is 10 Guilty Pleasures. Please check out some or all. And uh, again, this is Terry McCarty. Thank you so much for listening. The next episode will be sometime later this week, discussing, among other films, uh, John Krasinski's A Quiet Place, Part 2. Thanks so much for listening.